0: Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Tyler Forrest, President of Tennessee Wesleyan University, as our guest. Hey, good afternoon, President Forrest. How are
1: you? Good afternoon. How are you, Brad? Doing very well. Hey,
0: thanks for carving out time. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, happy to do it. i I'm, I've got these kind of goofy looking headphones on only because the sound is a lot better. When I use them.
0: Oh, hey, not not a problem at all. I'm very very used to those during
1: our podcast. So uh, it, okay,
0: it, hey, it looks great and it sounds
1: great. Well, I, every time I look at myself in the camera, I think, what a fool right there with the. <laughs> <laughs> So no 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 it works out just
0: just fine. It's, and I know you had it, a nice uh, conversation you did a survey with uh with JP nova
1: I sure did and I, I was very impressed with his research. A super nice guy. He said he would send it to me when it was finished. I don't know if he's got there yet or not.
0: Yeah, he hasn't got there yet. I know it's uh it's going to be in from well, I, I I shouldn't commit him to this, but I believe it's going to be finished in the springtime. I want to say later
1: okay. April. Okay, that's wonderful. Well, it's uh, an interesting topic. And I told him that, you know, I've read a lot of research studies through the years, but him focusing on small, rural uh, colleges and universities, I thought was very intriguing.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, that's really uh, I mean, those are that's our niche,
1: you know, really working with
0: with institutions, you know, like like yourself and, um, you know, with with the enrollment cliff here. Yes. And you know, we'll we'll remain here for, for some time. You know, we've it's interesting how we've found that to be a challenge, but we've also realized that schools like yourself, I mean, are are very resilient. Yes. You know, with the history that these institutions have had, including yours, you've been through many challenging times. Not, <laughs> yeah, not just a cliff, you know. I mean, there's yeah. been wars, there's been pandemics, and many other things. And so You know, I think depending on, you know, depending on who you talk about or the research or the articles or the books that talk about schools that, um, uh, you know, hey, there's going to be X number of schools closing because of the cliff. Yeah, I I look at that and I go, well, I I think sometimes the resiliency of institutions is, uh, is, is 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 not looked upon as an area that will allow these schools to be sustainable.
1: Yeah, it, It's all doom and gloom, r- unfortunately, yeah. and, if, and if you open up the Chronicle every day, as most of us do, at least on their daily emails, they're depressing. Uh, when when you read the first few articles and you really have to dig to find something good in them. And I, you know, when I was interviewing for this job, I shared that with the committee. I said, it's unfortunate that there's so many good things going on at this institution and the others, but you just don't hear about it every day because it's not what excites others to read, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Oh, I, I completely agree. And, you know, even when you're looking at, you know, major news publications, you know, when they talk about student debt and exceeding a trillion dollars you know it makes any parent look at that and go well why would I send my kid to college right but but to your point you know who are they focused on you know what schools are they talking about um you know what what truly is the cost what is the benefit and I think that oftentimes too is really missed among the, the the American people in general just because they see this broad brush You know, very to your point, very depressing outlook as far as
1: you know. Terrible,
0: it it really is, and it's unfair because it's not accurate. It's not an accurate picture, especially for schools like yourself.
1: No, it doesn't tell the story at all. And we have that conversation with folks all the time, including the fact that our student average student debt load is still under twenty thousand dollars for a four year degree. Well. You can't hardly get that anywhere, and to pay twenty thousand dollars to have the return that you get on that is is nothing.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, I know we just jumped right in. Do you have any yeah, questions fine. for me? Because <laughs> this is kind of how we roll. So.
1: <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm fine. I, I'm kind of an off the cuff guy uh, at times myself. I was curious, Brad. Where's your home base? Yeah, so our corporate office
0: is in Walnut Creek, California, so the East Bay of San Francisco.
1: Okay. Um,
0: Ironically enough, I went to high school in Walnut Creek um, a long time ago, 30-plus
1: years ago. Yeah.
0: Um, But I make my home base in Tennessee, so I'm about
1: 30 minutes south of Nashville. Oh, okay. Where in uh, in the year?
0: I'm I'm in College Grove.
1: Okay. so about
0: I think 3 hours from Athens
1: is that right? That that's would be right about yeah that'd be about perfect maybe a little less than that. My wife is from Nashville so we were over there um quite a bit. Great area but boy is it ever growing.
0: Oh I mean it's well it's growing so fast and and you know College Grove is 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 you know on the outskirts a little bit um but but even here you know it it's growing you know, you really, you have to pick your times of day to to drive, you know, make sure you don't get stuck. But the other thing that I've noticed too is, you know, especially with towns um, like Spring Hill or Columbia, neat little towns, but I'll tell you, um, I, I think one of the challenges that, um, you know, that they have in others is, you know, there, there's so many people coming in right now that it's really starting to congest. The one lane, two lane roads.
1: Absolutely.
0: And and now access points to 65 and 840
1: and 24, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I, I tell folks all the time when we go to Nashville, it's typically on a Saturday or Sunday to see my in laws. And almost always the secondary roads are just as congested as the interstates, even on a weekend.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's, so it's, it's exciting, you know, yeah, it is. Tennessee and Nashville is such a, you know, uh, you know, a thriving community and city and town, but, uh, you know, I'm sure, especially to the locals that have been here a long time, yes. you know, it's kind of that, they see both sides.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a balancing act. <laughs> no, no question about that. I, that's certainly how my in-laws feel.
0: So how long have you been in Tennessee?
1: Uh, I'm a native uh, okay. I was was born in Tennessee uh, interestingly enough Athens Tennessee where Tennessee Westland is is my hometown I was born in Athens um, and I had the opportunity uh, to spend a number of years at UT Chattanooga right down the road from here and to be able to come back to hometown opportunities a rare thing in higher education so I consider myself blessed
0: Yeah, you know, that's great yeah that's very exciting so let's talk a little bit about you and and your journey to the presidency. Who are who are the mentors that really helped shape you?
1: Yeah, you know, I've been blessed throughout my life, uh, even from a young age, to have a number of great mentors. When I think back to my youngest years, I think to my grandmother, who really inspired me to work hard. Uh, I would often sit in her floor, and she would have me go through the encyclopedia and read different articles about folks and think about, well, could you ever be like that person or, or what have you? And then as I got older, uh, some of the mentors that I have today certainly still are my mentors. Uh, Several come to mind, and I've been lucky enough to have them uh, from a point in my, my life to where I was able to still connect with them and still be able to tell them thank you uh so you know i see them around still today and and i've being a firm believer in mentorship myself i've tried to start mentoring others as well because i think you need to to give back that's often your competitive edge in life because they can help you get that first job they can push you in the right direction they can help you when you're down or even when you're up and and i've really been extremely blessed to have had that uh, on a number of levels.
0: Absolutely. Now, did you plan on being a, a college president?
1: I did not. Uh, Last, well, November of 2021, I was at a conference in South Carolina. I was currently the, or at that time, was the chief financial officer at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. And a friend of mine here in Athens texts me and he said, Tyler, Dr. Knowles is retiring. You should look into applying for that job. And just knowing my friend, who's also one of my mentors, I thought, oh, he's just over-inflating me and he thinks I could get that job or whatever. Uh, But when I came back to Athens after being at the conference, within two weeks, 25 people mentioned to me, they said, well, maybe you should apply for that job. And at that point, uh, regardless of what beliefs you might have, I felt like it was some level of divine intervention to say, Tyler, maybe I should apply for that job. So I did. Uh, happily, and I, I suppose the rest is history from there. But being a college president, I, although I very much so enjoy it, is not something that was really on my radar. I had always thought I would go on to become uh you know university system chief financial officer or something of that nature uh, because i had spent so much of my career in finance administration and operations it's where uh, you know you you often grow in the areas you're most familiar with and and that's what i had done but being able to step into this role has been a great eye opening experience uh, luckily In all my previous roles, I was able to operate at the enterprise level, so it wasn't like I was siloed in one particular area, so I had experience in academics and athletics and and all the things that uh, presidential roles deal with. So in, in that regard, it has been uh, an easier transition, I think. But in, in another regard, it's it's not the easiest thing in the world stepping into these type of roles. You, you have to learn a lot in a short period of time. And my personality, just like many others, you want to do a good job. So I have uh, tried to hit the ground running over the past nine months, and I, I can truly say it has been a blast.
0: Well, and, and the roles of, of CFO and president, you know, as far as your, your day to day, um, goals and maybe even your overarching, um, you know, keep you up at night, uh, things, how, how do those differ?
1: Well, interestingly enough, there's a lot of similarities, Uh, particularly at a smaller institution. You spend a lot of time focusing on campus finances. So, luckily, there wasn't a a big learning curve there for me. Uh, But in regards to, you know, being a presidential role, things you might not think about as much in a CFO role certainly would be accreditation and academic standards and what's going on in the classroom, all of which are extremely important. And then you have the student life piece as well, because you want there to be a good student experience and a good climate on campus. So, all of that has been something that has has been expanded in some regards, even though I had dealt with those type of things uh, throughout the years, having the responsibility for them on a day to day is a little bit different than what you would see in, in a more pure financial role.
0: So, the value of education is being challenged today, probably more so than it than it ever has um, for a number of reasons. So, you know, when you sit down with students and parents, you know, to talk about the story of Tennessee Wesleyan, um, you know, how do you describe, you know, hey, the value of education, the value of faith based education and, and really making certain that students and parents understand the importance of
1: education? Yeah, I mean, Tennessee Wesleyan University started in 1857 under a different name. But if you think the impact that it's had, not just on its students, but the local economy and in so many other ways in the past 166 years, is a little bit mind-blowing. I had a friend tell me that uh, he often says, if Tennessee Wesleyan University were not in Athens, Tennessee, how much would Athens, Tennessee pay to have it? And so in, in regards to the economic impact, it's substantial. But what's easy to sit down and talk To students and families and share with them the value of a college degree. Like you said, higher education is always under fire, whether it be in news stories or or other accounts. But when you really look at the premise of a strong liberal arts education with a lot of professional options like we have as well, and the uh, ability to earn so much more in your career as a professional once you finish, it's pretty mind-blowing. There was a study done Not too long ago that with a liberal arts degree and, you know, maybe in the humanities or something of that nature, you could earn almost a million dollars more over your lifetime. With a business degree or something in a professional field, it could be double that or or more. So, it's very easy to quantify the value of of a higher education experience, but also the qualifiers of that are the ability to have that liberal arts understanding, to, to enhance your English skills, your language skills, your uh, reading and, and other types of educational value that we could bring that you may not see in other areas that are that will be skills that you carry with you for the rest of your life. And I think at Tennessee Wesleyan, we work extremely diligently to do that and pr- to provide a lot of wraparound services to allow students to be extremely successful.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're at about 1,100 students today, is that right?
1: Yes, sir. That's correct. Okay.
0: So how how big do you want to get or how big do you need to get to see sustainability?
1: Yeah, you know, luckily we are sustainable now, but we have a, a goal which I would love to achieve within the next five to seven years to get to 1,500 students. Uh, when I came in last July, we really started aggressively working on that right out of the gate and have looked at Uh, several new programs that are already in the the pipeline, some that will be rolled out this next fall. Uh, We also have... Uh, a new focus on dual enrollment, which is something that we had done a little bit in, but not as extensively as we could. And then we've refocused our strategy on just regular freshman, traditional, I should say, freshman recruitment as well, in focusing on not just the county where we reside, but also the region right around us. So our counselors are in our type top high schools frequently, at least a couple times a month. We're building those pipelines up, and we've already seen uh, fruits from those labors, uh, in in the numbers uh, for next fall. So the leading indicators look really good. And I, and I do think over the next several years, if we continue down this path that we're on right now, we can get to 1,500. And as you know, uh, just being in the business you're in, from 1,100 to 1,500, you gain a lot of efficiencies because uh, you don't necessarily have to you know, re- make um, a lot of new staff hires, and you have to make some certainly. Uh, but but just having the more students on campus improves your bottom line and financial health of the university. So that's that's what we'll continue to focus on, and certainly we'll grow staffing as we need to. But we will be conservative with that until we can get uh, to the most sustainable financial position possible.
0: Well, and you talked a little bit about the history of the institution. I know you have notable alums.
1: Uh, you know, you yes. have Tom
0: Browning baseball player, yes. you know, uh, James Fowler, U.S. Yes. assistant attorney and, and Knoxville mayor. Yes. Um, and then even the co-author of the elf on the shelf which my kids. That's would, right. Would know, would know as well.
1: Yes. Uh, lots of notable alums. Uh, you, you mentioned, uh, if you would have asked me that question, I would have mentioned all three of those. <laughs> so, so you, so you stole my, my best ones, uh, <laughs> but, but certainly, uh, Mr. Fowler, he was uh, a major player in the Scopes Monkey Trial, uh, which many people are familiar with. Uh, Carol Abersold, who I know and have, have been to her uh, house and town in town in Florida, she did not end up graduating here, but did start her college career here. Uh, Feb Byrne, who wrote the famous letter uh, to her son in the state legislature to, that ultimately led to women's right to vote uh, by one vote cast in 1920. She was a, a graduate uh, here as well. So a lot of uh, famous, well, I should say, yeah, I'll, I'll call them famous, notable yeah, people. So. that That's the, uh, the word you used, and I like that. It's a great storied institution. I'll tell you one story because I just think this is fascinating. Uh, the institution started out under a different name, but the president in the uh, 1867, I believe, changed the name of the institution uh, to East Tennessee Wesleyan University, and he solicited one of the most popular men in America at the time to be the first donor, which was Ulysses S. Grant. And U.S. Grant was the first donor uh, to that institution uh, at the time. And when U.S. Grant died in, I believe it was 1887 maybe, uh, then the institution changed its name to U.S. Grant Memorial University. So uh, th- I think that's an interesting tidbit that uh, President Grant was one of our very first donors.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you talked about how important the relationship is uh, locally, you know, with with the city, with the town. Uh, but also, can you talk a little bit about the relationships that, that you have built with businesses uh, as well in town or, or outside?
1: Yeah, town and Gown is, is so incredibly important to us. And one thing we do a lot of is listen to local industry because we want to be the primary provider of as many jobs as we care, as many employees as we can in the area. So we listen to local businesses. We certainly listen to our school systems, which we work very closely with, given that our graduates are probably 50% or more of the teachers in many of our local school systems. We also listen to our local healthcare partners as well, both here in Athens as well as in Knoxville and throughout the region. We have a nursing school and an occupational therapy program in Knoxville uh, that works really closely with Covenant Health, uh, Fort Sanders in particular. So we're very fortunate to have that relationship. So we work closely uh, with them as well. I think uh, an institution of our size or perhaps any size, if you're not working closely with the 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 folks around you and kind of working those town and gown relationships, in many ways, you're probably missing the boat. Uh, so we do try to to respond as quickly and in the most nimble way we can uh, to whatever's happening around us.
0: Well, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of competition out there in higher education in general and competition for students. And so how do you make sure that the Tennessee Wesleyan brand resonates locally, regionally, but also nationally?
1: Yeah, I mean, competition is inevitable, particularly in a, a smaller private. Um, and I, I think we do a great job of pushing our our programs and our name, certainly within the local market. Uh, everybody in, in this region knows where Tennessee Wesleyan is, uh, primarily because of, of quality, but in a secondary way, just because when you've been around for 160-something years, you, you do gain some name recognition, uh, certainly as well. Uh, but one of the things that we've continued to push is how do we brand outside of our 3, four, five county region? So, we have really began pushing Uh, digital strategies to get get that notice and get that brand recognition out there also the more graduates we have often leads the more name recognition Uh, but it is a constant challenge uh, within the competitive market we're in particularly as you and i were talking before this started about the enrollment cliff uh, that is out there i do think Tennessee will fare better than many states just given all of the growth that's coming in here Uh, in our county alone there's hundreds of new homes being built, Uh, so that helps uh, in a pretty substantial way, but we're still going to have to react to changing demographics and different types of students. Uh, We have also played uh, early on in the adult degree completion market uh, which is a, a space that we will continue uh, to push in as well as in graduate programs as well which a lot of institutions our size have but we still were an early adopter of graduate programs uh, which I do think has set us apart uh, in comparison to some of our peers
0: so how many first generation students do you have
1: i would say we're we're well over 50 percent first generation. We very well might be higher. I'm sorry, I don't know that statistic uh, offhand, but it's a substantial amount. The more I think about it, I could almost guarantee it's a little bit higher than that. Uh, So that's an important demographic uh, to serve, and you often have to support those students a little bit differently, not that they don't have great support systems at home, but they may not have support systems that understand how to navigate higher education i was that student i remember uh, enrolling as an undergraduate student uh, feeling like i was you know as as lost as a ball in tall grass i had no earthly idea uh, what I was doing. And that was no fault of, of my mom who had helped me through that process. It was just she literally had no clue and, and was not really able to give me that guidance. So, you know, it's one of those things I understand that those students need to be supported. So we have tried to put those support systems and infrastructure in place to make that happen.
0: Well, and how do you make sure that students are, uh, are career ready?
1: Yes, that's a great question. Our, our last QEP, uh, which for those of you all that aren't familiar—I know you are—but through the, our SACS accreditation process, was focused on career ready and really embedding that in our curriculum uh, from from your first interaction at Tennessee Wesleyan all the way through your senior year. And we call it the Bulldog Connection. And the Bulldog Connection, like I said, really starts small and begins to have students think throughout their entire career at Tennessee Wesleyan. What do you want to do next? and what is going to be next. And we share different ideas, different career opportunities, different ways to think about things. And I I do believe that that alone has been very helpful in us having a higher retention rate and growing our retention rate, improving our graduation rate, because students do see what the light at the end of the tunnel looks like. Uh, I think that's probably one of the more frustrating things coming in as a college freshman. If you really don't know exactly what you're going to do and how you're going to get there, that's often the student you lose. So anything we can do to mitigate that is, is worthwhile doing uh, right before I logged uh, onto to this podcast to have a conversation with you. I was talking to one of our uh, excellent uh, donors, philanthropist, who has given us uh, a number of donations to support the Bulldog Connection as well as student success. And his view on it is if, if those mechanisms would have been in place when he were a student here, there's no telling uh, how differently his career may have turned out, but not having those mechanisms in place, it still turned out great, but it it turned out perhaps differently than it could have. So it's always great to hear stories like that and and to know that what we're doing is working and and impacting the lives of our students that we serve.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a a mantra that I often hear today is meeting students where they are. Yes, (laughs) You know, and and you had talked about doing that, whether it be residential, face to face, or online. Can you speak a little bit more about yeah. about kind of merging or marrying those two different modalities together?
1: Yeah, you you have to meet students where they are, and I, I think if if anything, the pandemic taught us it taught us that we can do that. I wasn't here at, at Tennessee Wesleyan at the time, but at my previous institution, and, and they did here as well. Uh, we had to pivot so quickly uh, to respond uh, to have to moving classes online. It made us all realize that we could actually do it. You know, he had fought it for a long time, but after you're forced to do it, you do realize it's possible. Which is so much of what we do right now. We have a robust online offering here, but also face to face as well. And I think with online, you know, you're constantly balancing: is it synchronous? Is it asynchronous? Is it hybrid? Uh, and and we do a little bit of all of that. But that really gives the student the option to excel in the area they're most comfortable in. Just like you just said, meeting them where they are. And I know a lot of students, they like the face-to-face interaction, so they'll take some courses with that, but then they also like online. Three or four years ago, had a student told me that I would have really been scratching my head. I wouldn't have understood that, honestly. But today, being forced to be where we are, we all understand that better. And I think it's helped students excel more. Some students just don't like to be in the classroom or they have uh, – uh, concern about it or, or whatever, so being able to deliver that content to them online is a plus, and also for us, an online platform gives us a larger geographic reach, uh, which we've very much so tried to capitalize on, even our own students that may want to go back home during the summer but want to take a class. the the largest part of our summer portfolio of classes is online, uh, which works out really well and helps us stay engaged with those students over the summer as well.
0: Absolutely. So where do you see Tennessee Wesleyan in five years?
1: Well, like I said a minute ago, we are in growth mode and we are working aggressively on that. Uh, it's something I, I share with my board and probably more candidly, they share with me that we're in growth yeah. mode and, and I take the, the lead on that. But I, I'm, I'm proud to do that because I, I think that's uh, ultimately going to make this institution an even greater Uh, place, uh, take it to new heights, uh, for lack of a better term, and we're also always going to focus on academic quality and student success. Uh, The first day I came into this job, uh, the email that I sent out to the campus was really talking about those two things, because I think as an organization, and certainly in alignment with our mission, if we're focusing on those two things, we are always going to be a successful institution. Uh, the, The challenges just continue to be, how do you market Yourself, how do you move the needle? And those are the things that our team just has to continue to work on, and we will. I, I think we will, in a, in a good way. And I feel uh, very good about the direction that Tennessee Wesleyan is going.
0: So, what are the top two things that you're focused on
1: on a day-to-day basis? Campus. And finding, I, know, I know there's yeah. more than two. Don't get me wrong. No, no, that's that's <laughs> fine. I mean, if I the, everything's important, uh, no question. But but two things that I focus you know, a ton on our campus finances uh, with the the sub-bullet point of fundraising, uh, because a lot of my time is, is spent on that. And then the second is enrollment. Uh, I spend a lot of time with our enrollment team and thinking about uh, how do we move the needle in those areas. Um, that's not to negate the wonderful work going on in academics, because I spend a lot of time on that as well, and new program development and working with our academic team uh, to think about how to move the needle in those areas. But uh, undoubtedly, uh, finances and enrollment, uh, consume probably more time than, than about any two subjects, which is, it's important. Those are things we need to think about. And, and of course, the two go very much so hand in hand, uh, as as well as a lot of other things we do on campus. Uh, I will say the, the beauty of being in a on a smaller campus, uh, unlike a larger one that I came from, we are anything but siloed here. Uh, we work very well as a team. Uh, there's not a lot of control issues or people just wanting it to be in their area. I think we all realize if we don't, pull together and work together, it'll be very difficult to move the institution forward. Uh, So that has been something that I've really enjoyed uh, coming here. I know that naturally comes with a larger institution uh, to to be a little bit more siloed. But here, like I said, it's anything but. And that has been a a refreshing move.
0: So when you talk about fundraising, how do you successfully fundraise?
1: (laughs) Well, if you've got any tips, let me know. No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Uh, you know, I, I my strategy on fundraising, right, wrong, or indifferent, I think you have to aggressively get in front of donors. Uh, it, it, you can't do it uh, standing on the wayside and just, just hoping it comes to you. And I, I couldn't honestly begin to count how many donor meetings I've had in the past nine months. I mean, hundred plus, uh, or probably more than that, honestly. Uh, Like I said, I had one at lunch today and and almost do every other uh, day as well at at lunch or at some other time, and and that honestly has helped move the needle. Uh, We have um, had some good successes in fundraising. We are in the silent phase of a capital campaign, uh, which has gone well, and we'll push that to the public phase likely in the next couple months, which I'm excited about. The the thing that uh, we're also, you know, capital campaigns are often focused on major donors and, uh, you know, we couldn't do without major donors. But one of the things that we're also focusing on is building the pipeline of smaller donations and engaging our alums in the hundred dollar donations or the consistent thousand dollar donations, because those really do add up to have a huge impact and I've shared with many donors, I don't want them to be defeated. Of, well, I can only give $100. Well, your $100 over a 20-year period, that's $2,000. And you really can uh, make an impact with $2,000, whether it's a student scholarship or um, operating assistance or a help, you know, a assistance fund of some sort. There's there's so many things, professorship, that that you can invest in and really help the institution, but ultimately help the student because that's the business we're in.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, President Tyler Forrest, Tennessee Wesleyan University. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Uh, My pleasure, Brad. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining the Plexus presidential podcast series. For more information
0: on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.